Hey folks, in this interview, I'm speaking with Esther Mabazi. We're gonna be talking about a photo essay that she did about birth in rural Uganda. This is Twitter. Hey folks, welcome back to This Week in Photo. I'm your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Really, really, I know I say this all the time, but really, really interesting show for you guys today, uh, an international show, as as it were. Uh, I'm speaking with Esther, uh, and Esther is a, Esther, you're a lot of stuff, but what, you know, we talked before, <laughs> before starting the interview, you are a photographer, this is why you're on This Week in Photo, but you did a fantastic photo essay that I want to grill you about and talk to you about. So first of all, welcome to This Week in Photo. How are you doing today? I'm doing all right. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you know, it's it's a pleasure to have you on. So first of all, let's 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 start with a little background. So you are, uh, you know, even scheduling this interview, you are a world traveler. You're all over the place. You are born in in Uganda, but you are now in Germany and running around the country, taking or around the, the world actually taking photos. Tell us a little yeah. bit about the origins of Esther and 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 how you came to be a photographer. Let's start there and then we'll dive deeper. Um, well, I I always was fascinated by stories. I loved stories in all forms. Um, and when I was growing up, I didn't have so much access to books. And um, the first time I got to actually read a whole book by myself was in school during an English class. And um, I think since then, I was really drawn to the, the ability of people to tell stories and transport you to a place you've never been. And um, that really inspired me to start looking into storytelling. And at first, I wanted to be a journalist, a writer. So I tried that, and it didn't really work out. I didn't feel like I was good at it. Um, so I went to journalism school, hoping I would be able to... Um, to learn more and actually find something that I really like doing, but it didn't really help. But in between um, searching for myself and doing journalism course, I came across a photography exhibition in Kampala, and this had works from all over Africa, but there was this photographer's work that stood out most to me. He was a young Ugandan photographer, and he had photographed this very a famous part of the city, which I would usually pass when I'm going from school or going to visit relatives. And I never paid attention to it, but this image froze everything. And it was a black and white image. It was, it was so emotional and vivid. And mm. when I saw this image, I realized I really wanted to make photos. I, I realized that this is how I would tell stories. And that's, that's interesting. It's interesting that you say that, because one of the things that we talk about a lot, um, just in general photographer conversations, is the, the there seems to be a line between photographers that just like to take pictures um, and make pretty pictures or, or get compliments from others, either in person or social media. And people like yourself that like to tell stories and were inspired initially by the art of storytelling. Um, tell us, let's dive a little bit deeper into that. So. Yeah, so starting from the art, from the, the side of you wanting to tell stories, where did you go from there? Did you, you know, just look for more stories to tell or was it more of a, a an evolutionary path? 
Um, it actually took me a while because, so after seeing this um, photo exhibition, I reached out to the photographer. His name is Oscar Chibuka, and he started giving me lessons on and off. He would teach me how to set a camera. Actually, that was one of the most important um, things that I had at the beginning because he told me straight up to use the manual mode on the camera. Mm -hmm. And um, I had to practice with that because at that time he was mostly photographing events and youth culture, hip hop and dance. And so I also started there and um, I photographed that that actually helped me to learn to photograph fast moving action in really low light. Yeah. And um, I went from there. I shot more events like festivals and concerts and but i felt like i i lacked something i felt like i lacked the process of creating having a story being curious from the beginning and trying to learn more about the the issue at hand while i'm also photographing it so i started taking um photography workshops anywhere where there was a, mm -hmm. a storytelling workshop i applied and if anything was free to apply i applied yeah <laughs> and um and i got through to some of those and um which led me to making this story in 2015 um actually 2016 yeah and because this was also part of a workshop by the World Press Photo. Mm -hmm. And um, that is, like, I just kept going from there on. Yeah, and I want to I talk a lot about that, that um, the photo essay. I wanna, I'm leading, I'm trying to, I want to get there, because that, that is amazing. And the, the article that the photographer did on that, I actually, I think I was telling you before we started, interview, before we started the interview, I actually read it two or three times, because it was, you know, impactful from the standpoint of just, you know, understanding the things that are happening. So you as a photographer, I feel like you did your job, right, of of explaining and bringing me into the situation that was there. But also from a from a just a regular photographic standpoint, amazing images and just sort of putting myself in your position and thinking, would I have been able to get that shot? And in a lot of cases, I was saying no, I would yeah. <laughs> probably. You know, so let, let's talk about I want to segue into that, into the photo essay. So the photo essay, it's a birth and um, it's a, a photo essay on birth in rural Uganda. So let's take me through that and how that came to be and why you felt compelled to do it. Um, so I was born and raised in Kampala, which is the main city um, of our small country, mm -hmm. of our small, really overpopulated country. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but I, I hadn't really had so much contact with the rural areas of the country. And um, one time I went to visit friends in, in the mountains and they were working at a hospital. So I just hung around the hospital getting to learn more about the area through the people and learning about what the hospital is doing. I was making some photos for them. But in that process, I got to learn about the traditional bath attendants. And before that, I didn't, I didn't know that um, they still existed because this was 2015, at the end of 2015. Mm -hmm. And it blew my mind to learn that there are still women out there in the villages helping other women with... Um, maternity care and antenatal postnatal services for free like it's deep in the villages mm -hmm. so when i learned about that i wanted to know more about these women who are these women but then digging deeper and researching i realized 
there's there's been a lot of negative um, story and stories and media around it mm-hmm. because uh, many of them also are not really certified to do it. They, you know, someone in the neighborhood is having a baby, the only woman around, and there were many cases where either the mother or the baby died during the process. So those cases led the government to ban the the practice of the traditional birth attendants. And um, so the more I dig deeper and read about this, the more I felt um, the more I felt bad because in the community, the women that we were meeting and talking with, they were really nice people and they genuinely cared about the women that they're helping. So I wanted to explore a different angle. I wanted to see who are these women despite being banned by the government, are still practicing, but also incorporating the modern healthcare system into their work because they know the dangers of what they're doing. They know they don't have enough equipment, but they still want to help and they care. So, um, yeah, so I looked into those. I met a few of them, but I was really drawn to Massa. I don't know, maybe it's because she was really old and sweet and she had so much conversations to tell. Um, 80, 81 I, years old, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. She was really, she was, she she is quite a character because I met her and I, I was talking to her. Of course, at 81, she was starting to forget things and make things up, but um, she would forget something and, when she remembers it 20 minutes later, she goes back to it just to make sure she gives you the right information or explains to you how it felt, how she got into um, that kind of work. And um, yeah, so I worked on this story also during that period where I was part of the masterclass, the WordPress photo masterclass. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and then we went through a process of editing it afterwards. Yeah. So then the, the, you know, before you got to the process of editing and before you even sort of began the, the project, was there a period of sort of you getting to know Masa and the other women and just sort of before you even picked up the camera? You know, did, did you have a, a time where you just wanted to understand and internalize the story or was it, you know, I'm, I'm going to go in and be a fly on the wall and document this without interacting at all? What was what was that flow like? So the the most of the interactions that I had with Matsa before photographing her were at the health center, because this health center she would always come in with mothers and she would wait in line with them. They would go into the to see the doctor. She would be there with them. If a mother is having a baby, she would be there with them. So I just kind of watched watched her from the side, and. Um, at the same time, I was going into the communities and talking to other traditional birth attendants and getting their story, getting to know them, until um, one time that I actually got to interact with Masa because one of the one of the people at the health center was like, "This is our this is our best one. She's she's doing great. She's bringing so many people to us. She stays with them. She's really de- dedicated, and she loves it." So. Um, I think that was the point that I decided um, to talk to her personally and get her story and also start photographing her. It actually didn't take me, um, I didn't spend so much time photographing her because 
this area is far out um, in the mountains and I had to travel back and forth from the city. So I only went there and photographed her in two installments. Yeah. Wow. What a story. So how do, how do you feel like this, this particular story has changed you or has it, you know, does it, cause I know when in speaking with a lot of photojournalists and, and even street photographers, they'll say when, when they tackle a particularly sensitive topic, especially one that's that in turn, you know, they can see themselves in, it changes them in some way. Have you, have you felt that at all? Have you felt some sort of personal transfer transformation throughout the process of creating this story? Well, apart from being so scared of giving birth and <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and having so much respect for the for all the women out there who have actually managed to have babies and go through it, um, I feel like the other thing that um, really came to me during this process is mostly about my storytelling because in the beginning I was like um, I just want to see what her life is but then I realized it's more than just her life it's her environment mm -hmm. why, why she chose to do this who are the women that she's working with and in the end it touches more than just the story of Massa, but also the state of the healthcare system that we have out here and how women are actually not having many options and the few options, how are they trying to reach out to the broader community that is out in the mountains, for example. So for me, I think it really helped me to, in my other stories, to always have a starting point, but also know that that starting point is only a starting point. It, it, to stay open-minded for all the other entries that can come in to the story. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I feel the same way when I'm like you and I were talking about before we started this interview, doing these sorts of interviews conversationally and just seeing where they lead is better than starting with an outline and trying yeah. to fill in the blanks. Right. So exactly. It becomes much more real and, and more human. Um, mm -hmm. Esther, I want to, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about the, you know, we, we talked about sort of the process and the human part of the story. Let's talk a little bit about the, the technical piece of it. And, you know, you, back when you first saw that first photo and got excited about photography, what guided you to the, to the gear choices that you use, the lenses, those sorts of things? Why, you know, why do you shoot with the tools that you shoot with? Hmm. Um... I don't know. I feel like in the beginning it was more like I practiced on a I practiced on a Canon camera. Then when I had to buy one, I bought a Canon camera um, because those are a bit cheaper to get if they are used. And um, so I I worked with that. I still do work with it, but um, along the way too, I learned according to different situations, I learned that I needed a smaller camera. So that is when I got the Fuji film camera. I yeah. got the Fuji film X-T2. And um, I use it in different, I use both cameras in different situations uh, because of different reasons for me. One of yeah. which, um, the, 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 the size, I really like the Fuji because of its small size. It's really lightweight and it's small that when you go out in communities where you feel like you might face resistance mm -hmm. with making images, 
if they see you with a small camera, especially out in Uganda, people only believe you're serious if you carry a huge camera. Yeah. So if I have a small camera and I have a mission, it really helps me a lot because people just think I'm a tourist or something and they don't pay much attention to me. And in that way, I end up getting really important images. Um, And also because I could shoot with a silent shutter so people can't really know if I've made the photo or not. And Mm -hmm. um, I find that really helpful sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And I use the Fuji a lot now with my youth story because they're working with youth. You have to work with many times you find yourself in low light situations and maybe you're going to a club they won't let you in with a huge camera because they don't want their people to feel insecure but then they'll let you in with a small camera because they just don't care about it right and i feel like that has helped a lot with my storytelling to gain access to places that would otherwise take me so long to make people accept me in with a bigger camera yeah the smaller Uh, the smaller camera is like a passport and i would i would say that it's not just uganda right it is it is worldwide that whole camera stigma of larger cameras must mean that you are a real photographer a small Mm -hmm. camera means you know you're you're just a tourist or photographer yeah exactly you can't be real it's just a little tiny camera um, yeah, that's a, I found that all over the place as well as the whole tripod stigma. I don't know if you have that as well, because, you know, if you're using a tripod, that must mean you're a professional photographer. Uh-huh, <laughs> right? uh-huh. Yeah, same thing. Yeah, yeah. So what about lenses? Do you do you find yourself gravitating to I know some photographers will say, you know, I shoot with this, uh, whatever, whatever sensor size they're on the, the normal lens for that sensor size. And that's all I use. And I zoom with my feet or they'll have three or four lenses in the bag. What, what do you what do you carry around with you on assignment? So um, most times I carry a 35, a 35 fixed lens and a 50. And recently I got a 24 to 70, which I can't. Sometimes I feel lazy to move around and so I end up zooming a lot with that. But um, depending on when, I find myself using the 35 a lot. But also I've had a lot of people saying that my images are kind of at the same distance. So I'm trying to gravitate from that mm. to use the other lenses more. That is why I got the 24-70. That way I can shoot at 24, I can shoot at 70, I can, you know, have the, the variations. Um, but with the Fuji, I shoot with the, uh, I think it's called the 23 yeah, mm-hmm. the 23, and I recently got um, a 50, which I really love. Yeah. I really love the 50 for the portraits. Yeah. It's it's amazing. It's, it's for the, crazy. For the, blur, the bokeh, <laughs> the blurred background on that 50, right? Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, and usually when I'm using it, I use the, the 23. Lovely, um, lovely. Yeah. Okay, so so we're we're gonna wrap up in just a second here, but I wanted to I wanted to talk a little bit about the the process. Once you you so we we started with you got the idea from you know at the workshop you moved in you got the <clears throat> or you move forward with creating the story with and and sort of learning the ins and outs and the scary parts <laughs> of that that whole process, and then you got to yeah. the culling part of it where 
it was time to go through all the images that that you shot and pick the ones that were actually were going to go into the story. Tell me about how that worked. Was it, you know, from a technical standpoint, were you were you culling in Lightroom? And then, you know, how did you pick the the heroes and leave the ones that may have been your favorites, you know, uh, in the computer versus setting them free? What was that process like? Um, well, because this was uh, part of a workshop, we had a lot of help from different mentors and um that helped i had usually how i work is i edit out i first get rid of the blurry uh images which are not blurry like intentionally um and then i go for i i i tag them by a one the ones that i like and then from there because i might have like five doubles of one scene Mm -hmm. or action and then i look through those i select one or two because sometimes I just can't get it down to one yeah. um, and then I have those so those are not really in a in a in a sequence of a story at that point they're just images that I like and I edit all of them I put them aside and then I start going through them um, I look at them in bridge and I move them around and see which one works with which one, which one works after which one, uh, how do I want my story to flow, which one do I go first, um, do I have like a certain kind of image that is going to bridge together all the different images if I'm working on kind of different stories or characters. Um, so I do that and then I narrow it down to let's say 15 and then I usually ask people to look at them and select like 12 in like the people end. people online or people around you in um, person? people online most of the times uh, I have um, a few people that I can reach out to in this network of photography I have mentors I have past mentors I have because that's also the other the beauty with um, attending workshops or applying for grants and things like this because you create a very huge community that depending on what you're working on there's always someone out there who can spare a minute to look at your work and tell you what they think and having the different um to see what people are drawn to kind of helps me in the end to select, to, to go with a, an edit that I feel like I'm there, but also I know the audience will relate to. Sometimes, though, I feel like it's very hard in the end to select 12 images on a story that you've worked on, let's say, for three months. It's, yeah. it's crazy. It's hard. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because it's sometimes, you know, even as I know, you know, even when you're sort of writing a story versus photographing a story and you let someone else read that that work, they will pick out things that you your brain just didn't see. Then, like yeah. you used and twice in that sentence and you've read that sentence a million times and you didn't see that you that typo in there. Same with yeah. photography. You may not have noticed that that tree is growing out of that person's head, but you exactly. show it, right. You show it yeah. to people and they're like, why the tree? And then suddenly you see it and you're like, why didn't I see that? Right. <laughs> so, yeah. So so just to bring it around full circle, what did uh, what did Masa think of the final work and has she seen it? So when I was photographing her, she still didn't understand it. She still didn't understand why anyone would be interested in her life. And um 
So after photographing and I shared images with her, I showed her, I gave her some prints and she loved the prints. She, she was so happy. She was hugging me and thanking me. But that's as much as she saw of the story. Because even when I was photographing her, I explained to her that this is a story I'm interested in. I don't know where it will end up because it's a personal story. You, you take on personal stories and you just don't know where they'll end up. Um, but I explained to her why I'm really interested in it. And along the time, she got to feel com- comfortable with someone being interested in her life. Yeah. Um, so when I showed her, the, when I gave her prints in the end, she was really, really happy. Wow. And that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. So uh, what's next for Esther Mabazi? What's what's the next project or the current project that you're working on? So I'm working on a long-term project um, about African youth, which sounds so general and big, but um, it's basically about exploring the youth of our times because Africa right now is the youngest continent and... Mm -hmm we're still going to be young for quite a while because of the population and the dynamics in the continent. But so I'm approaching this project in different chapters and each chapter is touching on a different theme. And I'm trying to include as many different countries. So I started with Uganda and I was photographing what it means to be a young person in the world. Because at that time in 2017 when I started, Uganda was the youngest country in the world by age. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I photographed coming of age amidst conflict in South Sudan. And then um, now I'm exploring um, the cultural integrations of African migrants to Europe. Wow. See, important work, important work. And one, one thing that we didn't talk about was your your relationship with National Geographic, because as you as you're talking through these things, I'm seeing National Geographic colors in my head. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that yellow is popping up. I'm hearing the music. So tell me before we break this off, what what's your relationship with National Geographic and, and how did that come along? Um, well, I'm a grantee and um National Geographic grantees are called explorers because they fund us to go out there and explore the world, explore stories, and um, be it a scientist, be it a biologist, in all different forms, or storytellers, filmmaker, illustrator, Mm. as long as you have um, something you'd like to explore and share with the world. And um, you manage to convince National Geographic, they'll support you. And that is how um, I'm, I'm connected with the National Geographic. Wow, that's they, fantastic. Um, yeah, they're funding my project on the African youth migrants to Europe. That is, that is great. So, you, so the process is you, you, have an, you have an idea and you pitch it to National Geographic and they approve it. And then from that point forward, you're just on the road taking photos do you have a deadline at the end of it where you say you know hey nat geo i'll be done with this project by the end of july 2019 and i'll have a a, a finished photo essay for you by that time or is it ongoing and you finish when you finish depending on you know what life throws at you um well for my grants there's there's a deadline so you apply with um you apply with a project proposal, you tell them what story you would like to work on, and then you give them a timeline and you give them a budget. 
So if if they approve, if they feel like it's something they can support, then they give you the grant, they give you the money, but then you have to create the body of work in the time frame that you, you said, you talked about. And then from there, who knows if all goes well, they publish it. And then if they really like it, you can ask for more money for another thing. <laughs> yeah, that's that is great. Well, congratulations on that. That is, I think you're the first, the first uh, National Geographic explorer that I've met. So you know, it's oh, an honor. Congra- oh. Yeah, that is that is really cool. <laughs> well, Esther, if people want to check out your work or see, you know, any of the, the the photo essays that you've worked on or any of the other things that you've done, what's a what's a good place for them to go check your your stuff out at? Um, so I have a website, um, com, but I'm also really present on Instagram and there people can stay more updated with what I'm working on, what has been published and on Instagram, um, Esther Ruth Babazi. Uh, Esther Ruth. Okay. We'll, we'll link to all that. And I'm sure that's, that's also in the, uh, the, the photo story and all that. So thank you so much for Thank coming you on very much. this has been a pleasure you know chatting with you it's it's always humbling to for for me to chat with photographers that are actually photographers right you are you're a real photographer out there doing important work telling important stories and using you know using the gear beyond taking photos of things that don't necessarily matter to people you're taking using the gear to take photos of things that are changing the world so thank you i appreciate that Thank you very much. All right, Esther, thank you so much and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. This is Twitter.